The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. If you saw some faces you didn't recognize, I hope you'll say hello. Um, this morning we're going to take a break from our normal um, preaching series through the Apostles' Creed, and instead we'll be joining the lesson plan uh, that our children are following in their classrooms on Sundays, which is a real joy. All of our classrooms, all our children through fifth grade, uh, go through a three-year curriculum uh, teaching the story of God. They started over this January, starting in Genesis and beginning that long journey and good journey of, of, of uh, learning the story of God from start to finish. And so today we get to, we get to join in their teaching and in their uh, study uh, learning about God. And I imagine as you gathered today, uh, you were probably familiar with that today was Family Sunday, that we would be, that many of our children would be with us. Maybe you just realized that as you came in today. Um, but you probably thought, oh, the, uh, the kids get to join us today in worship. And I'd actually like to think of it another way, that we are joining them in worship. And maybe even a better way to say it is that we're joining one another in worship today. Because the things that happen across the wall and in the classrooms are the same thing that happens here. We sing, we pray uh, to God, we pray for one another, uh, we open God's word and, and discover God's word for our lives, we, we worship him. And so we gather, normally on any Sunday, we gather for worship as God's people, and what we normally do separately, today we have the privilege of just doing together. And so we are worshiping together, and we're so glad that we're able to do that. And so today, we continue in their lesson plan. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 32. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. We read in the first eight verses of Exodus chapter 32. Let's go there together. Here is where their story continues, starting in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel. Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is God's word. And a tragic situation we have, a heartbreaking situation, as we see God's people forgetting God, turning on their hearts to, from God in worship and worshipping an idol. And I want to answer one question today as we gather as his people. Why do we worship? Why do we gather for worship? Why are we here? Why do we do this on Sunday mornings? It's not a complicated question, but I do believe it's a question that directs every other day of the week. It's a question that really directs our entire lives. 
the very important question of why we gather is so easily forgotten. And before we answer that question, first a, a different question. Have you ever been forgotten? Have you ever been left behind somewhere? Adults can think about this too. Maybe your parents have accidentally or on purpose uh, left you places. And this is a question that parents, for this time, you are not allowed to restrict your children from answering. I want to hear from your children. Have your parents ever left you anywhere? Yeah? Anybody want to share? They're just shouting it out, you know. Knox? Peter Piper Pizza. All right. Lost at Peter Piper. Gwen? Every one of your those children are saying... <laughs> yeah, that happens. That one time. Give me a pass. Anybody else? Israel. Whoa. <laughs> the Bay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and everybody is okay. These are, these are good things. What fun. I've been left many places. I've been forgotten. As the middle of seven children, I've been forgotten everywhere. My parents, for most of the time, they said they had six kids. And I'm like, hello, I'm right here. You know? I've been left at grocery stores. Now, notice I said grocery stores, not grocery store. You may think, well, how many grocery stores? All of them. My parents would go to the grocery store on one trip for bread and a second trip to pick up their middle child. <laughs> Felt like they're always going back. I got very comfortable sitting on curbs waiting for my parents to drive up. I was left at the zoo once for what felt like all day, uh, left for, to fend for myself from strangers and also wild animals. Um, I remember spending what felt like 10 hours, probably about 30 minutes, in the security room of the zoo. So the zoo had like a security box with a security guard, and he had a gun. It was the size of about a, a phone booth, and I'm in there with a security guard. Me in a phone booth for kids under, you know, people under 20 years old. A phone booth, if you wanted to make a call to somebody, and if you weren't in your kitchen, you had to go into a glass box on the sidewalk, and, make a, and they were just as clean as they sound. Yeah. I was left in the woods. I was left in the woods, one of my more traumatic experiences as a child. Left in the woods, we went camping in a 10-person family tent, and I woke up in the morning, and I'm the only one in the tent. Everyone is gone. And on this big tent, the zipper is all the way at the top of the ark, and I cannot reach it. I can't even get out of this tent. So I'm bringing all the pillows, all the blankets, everything in the tent, and I'm making this Tower of Babel so I can climb out to safety, right? And I finally get out and wander home to safety. Ever since, I, I've always slept with the door open in my bedroom, just in case. It's not, it doesn't feel good to feel, be forgotten, and everyone is okay, and I'm glad about that. You see, where this Bible passage is going is maybe not where you think it is going. It's not about God forgetting us. It's about us forgetting God. See, God's people have forgotten God. They've forgotten his, his act of kindness, uh, his act of mercy and grace to them. They had forgotten God, and, and, and they'd forgotten his love, and their hearts had wandered into great wickedness. They forgot his kindness and they forgot his rescue from slavery. They were, they were in bondage and slavery. They were being oppressed. They cried out for help and God saved them. And as God was leading them from a place of, 
uh, from rescue to a place that he had promised to give them, a place of safety. They had forgotten God and all that he had done. And Moses goes up to God and asks God, don't, don't be angry with them because his anger had been kindled. His, angry, his anger had, had been kindled against them that they would forget him and all the good that he had done. And Moses says, don't forget them. Don't, don't forget your mercy for them. Do not, do not harm them. Remember your promises to your people. And God forgives. God remembers them. Why do we gather? I want to talk about two brief reasons for us today. Why do we gather and why do we gather specifically as God's family? Two reasons. One is to celebrate the grace, the greatness of God. And second is to remind one another of the greatness of God. Simple answers to a very important question. Let's talk about that. Why do we gather? We gather to celebrate the greatness of God. We gather to celebrate the greatness of God. And that's exactly where our passage brings us to today. I don't need to introduce too much to our kids. They've been walking through in this journey and learning about the story of God and how it brings us to this passage today. But for some good context for us, they've been, they have restarted a three-year process of the story of God, starting in the book of Genesis, starting at creation. We learn that God created all things. He created all things, including man and woman, and he declared them good. He looks on his creation and he says, this is good. And God called Um, Adam and Eve into great relationship of love and trust. He invited them into relationship where they would obey him and they lived in perfect peace and love with God. Up to this point in all the world, nothing had ever been done apart from the love and life with God. Imagine that. You turn on the news, nothing bad to tell. No memory of pain because it did not exist. No reason to cry because all you know is joy. But then something horrible happened. Adam and Eve believed a lie. They believed the lie of the devil instead of believing God and remembering God's love for them. And the good peace that they experienced with God was broken. It was broken. And thankfully, the story doesn't end there. God would speak a gracious promise. He would initiate with them, pursue them. He would come into the mess that they created and he would give a promise that he would bring them out of that mess, that he would fix the mess that they created. He promised to save them from the curse of their sin and disobedience. God seeks them out in the midst of all of their forgetful disobedience and he promises to rescue them. Adam and Eve would continue to fail. They would continue to fail again and again, but God promised not to fail. And the rest of the story, the rest of the Bible is God's way of telling us how he is good on his promise to be true to everything he has said to save his people. This year, our children have learned about people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They learned about how one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, would save his family from starvation and bring them to Egypt where they would flourish in life and prosperity and peace. But then as the time went on, they would become slaves in Egypt. And they cried out for God for help. And God remembered his people. He sends Moses to save his people. And through a mighty work of God and a mighty power of God, he saves his people from slavery and oppression in Egypt. And he leads them to a promised land that he invites them into go where they will enjoy relationship with him again. And this is where our story finds us. God takes them from a hopeless situation. He promises life to them and blessing in his presence forever. 
He's done amazing things for them. He's shown the world how strong he is. And they have forgotten him. They have forgotten God. And they begin to turn their hearts away from God to love something other than the God who loves them, pursues them, rescues them, and provides for them when they are hungry, when they are thirsty, when they are afraid. Literally, they are hungry. They say, God, we are hungry. And food falls from heaven. And every morning they wake up and there is fresh, sweet food welcoming them as they come out of their tents. They are hungry for meat and God brings quail for them to eat. They say they are thirsty and he makes water come out of rocks. He provides for their every need and, God, and they forget the love of God. And so they are stressed out. And I want you to imagine what you might do when you are stressed, when you're frustrated, when you're afraid. They are afraid and frustrated. And they say, where is Moses? Moses has gone away and we don't know where he is or how long he'll be gone. Where is this God who has promised to be with us? And they say, Aaron, Aaron, would you help us out? Would you, will you give us a God who will lead us, which will, who will protect us, who we can worship, who we can love and know? And so they take off all of their gold, all of their gold jewelry, and they melt it in the fire, and Aaron sits there, and he carves a golden calf, and he says, here is your God. And they worship it, and they feast, and they play, and they celebrate, and they say, this is the God who has brought us out of Egypt. This is the God who has saved us. Isn't that amazing? Having been rescued and in their journey to occupy the land of blessing that God would give to them, they become stressed out and forget God. God's people forget. Their hearts become so forgetful that they begin to believe that a golden cow, a little statue, has pulled them out from slavery. Ridiculous, right? It's not so ridiculous. We do it too, probably not in the same way, likely not in the same way, but it's not just a story of how God's people forgot God a long time ago. This is our story as well. The passage shows us our natural desire in times of stress and frustration, anger or fear, or in waiting for God to lead and to bless us, the things that we will do. We forget the greatness of God and we turn our affections towards other things and people. We substitute the God who loves us for a powerless idol. We are people who are so prone to worship something all the time. Worship's not just something we do in our singing. Worship's not just something we do in our praying. Worship is any time we pour out our praise and affection. Worship is giving any object, any person, anything, a pour out of our praise from our heart. The preschool classroom right now where the kids are in are likely at this very moment, probably right now, they're fashioning idols out of Play-Doh. What are they doing? You know, but, you know, that's not the end of the story for us. I'll tell you what we're going to do with that. They're, they're recreating, if their teachers are following the curriculum, uh, they're recreating their favorite toy out of Play-Doh. We would tell them that these toys are good. These toys are delightful. These toys are gifts from God. But if our heart cares for those things more than God, these toys will become objects of our worship. We will celebrate that thing in our life. We will find delight in that thing in our life. We will hope in that thing. And our, we will forget the love of God so much so that we will depend on that thing for our lasting joy and happiness. 
And that thing will always let us down. And after they recreate these idols, these, these toys out of Play-Doh, our teachers are going to have them smash them and break them up into pieces. Seriously, if I gave you Play-Doh, if I gave you Play-Doh, what would you form? What would you fashion? What would you make? The Israelites made a calf. They made a cow, likely to remember the days when they were in Egypt because there were cows everywhere. Maybe remembering a day when life was, life was at least consistent, where they had a home, where they had a roof over their head. Maybe they're thinking, I want to go back to those days. Even though they were in slavery, even though they were not able to worship God, at least they had comfort, at least they had routine, at least they had order, society, felt like they had a purpose. What would be the thing that you shape out of this Play-Doh? Would it be a dollar sign? Would it perhaps be a favorite vacation spot? Would it be your children or a house? Or maybe your reputation or what people think of you? I don't know how. If you can come up with a visible expression of ego, good job. <laughs> That's hard. To... What would you fashion? Would it be a job or a friend or maybe a newest tech item? Here's the thing to remember. We're always praising something. We're always forming something, and, and, and the, there's always something in our life that we are pouring out praise to. We're always worshiping something or someone. Do you see yourself as a worshiper? We all worship. The question is, what is the object of that worship? We are continually, in every thought and action, demonstrating what we believe to be ultimately a great and worthy of our time and energy. We're always demonstrating this is important. This deserves my praise, my attention, my affection. We gather to celebrate the greatness of God. It is God who has rescued us. It is God who loves us, who alone is great. And they pour out their praise to something else. Moses comes down from the mountain. Here's how the rest of the story goes. He comes down from the mountain as God says, look at what my people are doing. Look at what is happening. Moses, go down there because my anger is being built up against them. Go down there. So Moses goes down there and he approaches Aaron and he says, Aaron, man, what did these people do to you to make you do this? I mean, how did they trick you so much that you would do this thing? And here's what Aaron says. He says, oh man, you know how these people can be. You know how stubborn they are. You know how messed up they are. They're so hard to please. All I did was I took their gold, I threw it in the fire and out popped a golden cow. That's exactly what he says. Read 21 and 24. That's what he says. But we know that he sits there and he crafts it for them. He gives them an object of praise. He goes along with it. If you want some help in identifying what these things could be in your life, with these idols, with these objects of worship, where you're pouring out praise, consider what you do or how you feel when you're stressed out. Consider... Consider what you do or who you go to or where you go to when you're hurt, when you feel abandoned, when you feel frustrated. When you're stressed and frustrated and hurt or af afraid, the easiest thing to do in the whole world is to find someone whose fault it is that you feel that way. I mean, it's really the easiest thing to do. It's actually harder to do nothing than it is to find someone who is to blame for why we are pouring out praise to something other than God. Why did you hit your sister? Because she won't stop making that sound. Why did you cut that person off so aggressively on the street? 
Because they don't know how to use their blinker. Why did you cheat on your test? Because my mom didn't wake me up in time. Why have you not been present emotionally with your wife? Because she doesn't respect me for who I am. Why did you snap at your husband? Because he doesn't care how hard of a day I've been having. The easiest thing to do is to forget. The easiest thing to do is to blame others. This is what Aaron does, and he doesn't even see it. We look at it and we say, that is the most ridiculous lie. But I'm convinced, he was convinced that that's exactly what happened. We often forget the kindness of God. We run to substitutes, substitute pleasures that are incapable of bringing us the peace that we so strongly desire. What is the kindness of God? Here's how the story goes on. Moses says, you've sinned such a great sin against God. You've forgotten God. You have poured out your affection and praise to worshiping idols. Let me go up and talk to God and see if there's something I can do. He says, let me see if I can atone for your sins. Let me see if I can go and get God to cover over your sins so that he doesn't kill you. Because God talks to Moses and he says, Moses, go down there. you got to figure something out because honestly, I want to start over. And I want to wipe everybody off the face of the earth and I just want to start over because I'm so angry. I'm so angry that they have forgotten me. And like we saw in the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, we see it again here. God's people forget about God. They disobey him. They neglect to worship him. They neglect to pour out praise from their heart for who he is. They forget to celebrate the greatness of God and his love. And even in the midst of their greatest forgetfulness, God once again is moving towards his people in love and mercy. And Moses goes up to God and pleads with God by saying, don't forget your promises. Don't forget your people. Don't forget your mercy and love for them. And God forgives them. Because Moses intercedes on their behalf. He goes to make atonement for their sins, to satisfy God's anger. And it's only because Moses, we understand it more clearly, Moses is a picture of what Jesus would accomplish for you and me. Here it is, and this is why we celebrate. Jesus goes to the Father on our behalf so that our sins, past, present, and future, would be forgiven because Jesus stands in our place. He atones for our sin. He satisfies God's anger for our sin on the cross. He takes our sin as he's nailed to the cross. He dies and he raises from the grave, proving, proving to have conquered sin once and for all. It's as if Jesus is saying, let me go. Let me go to God and see if I can atone for your sins. He pleads with the Father. Why do we sing? Why do we pray? Why do we get up and make our way to church and gather with others? We gather because of Jesus. We gather because of the expression of God's greatness and love for us. Of all the things you can do on a Sunday morning, hear this, there is absolutely nothing better you can do than to gather and celebrate the greatness of God. Not a sporting event, not sleep, not savoring a nice breakfast or a hot cup of coffee in the morning. It is far greater to grab a Nutrigrain bar at Circle K and make your way to church to celebrate the greatness of God than it is to miss it and have a satisfying meal. 
And it's, I promise, it's not because I am great. It is not because of James is great. Don't come to church because, because we are here. It is because we gather to remember and to celebrate the greatness of God who, as we see all the ways he has loved us, rescued us, that he has not forgotten us. That even though we forget him, he pursues us and he rescues us. Why do we gather? We gather to celebrate the greatness of God. We gather for Jesus. There's another reason we gather. To remind one another of the greatness of God. A simple answer to a very profound purpose and reality. This will be a quick analogy and application and we will wrap it up together. Here is the analogy. Is what we do today, is it more in your eyes, is it more of a concert or a banquet? What is happening here today? You go to a concert, you sing, you have a good time, you create memories, you even likely critique. You go to a performance and you say, here's what I really liked about it, here's what I didn't like about it, I kind of like this band a little better, I think I'll go to that one next time. It requires nothing of sacrifice and it demands only pleasure. And you go seeking that satisfaction, seeking that pleasure. A banquet, by contrast, is so much different. It's a communal gathering. It's a communal experience where we come hungry. We're ready to participate, to share with others in the experience of celebrating God. We fail to worship God in our gathering when we make the act of worship a private event. We should never think about worshiping God without also thinking about coming to build up others so that they can celebrate the greatness of God with us. And here is the thing to remember. If you come and gather for worship and you come not seeking to build others up also in their worship of God, then you have not worshiped. You have not worshipped. We're not just coming to consume. We're coming to feast together. It is not your time to seek solitude with God. There are many other days and hours and rhythms throughout the week to do those good things. This is not one of those things. It's a time to remind one another who we are, how we got here, and why it all matters. It's a time to receive God's word together, to sit under his teaching It is a time for older men to model for younger men, older women to model for younger women, what it truly looks like to celebrate the greatness of God together in our singing, in our listening, in our sacrificial, hospitable service. It means that we show up on time to build others up. It means that we come with our hearts prepared through prayer. It means that we remove all vocabulary, all words or phrases in our vocabulary when referring to our time with the kids as babysitting, as child care, as kids' church. When you come and tell me, hey, I'm going to go help with the kids, I would love to hear you say, I'm going to go to remind these children of the greatness of God. What an exciting thing. What a great privilege we have. It's as if we're surrounded at this banquet table saying, could you pass the potatoes? Can you pass the kale? No one's ever said that. Can you, can, can the sweet potatoes, can you pass the cranberries? Can you, we're, we're, we're saying, and yes, we can. It is a giving and receiving 
of the pleasures and blessings that God has given to us. This is not a private event. It is not a time to pursue solitude. Wow, how would that change the way that we come together? Not only pursuing and enjoying and celebrating the greatness of God, but reminding others of that. We need it. Do you see how this story, this tragic story in in Exodus could have been a totally different story if someone would have stood up and said, have you forgotten already? Everyone went along with it. Well, I guess this is what we're doing. I guess this is what we're doing. Maybe God has forgotten us. What would it have taken? One person, 10 people to say, let's remember what God has done. Let's remember who we are. Let's remember how we got here and let's remember why it all matters. We need one another. All of us are hurting. All of us are prone to forget. All of us are prone to wander. All of us have hearts that are prone by the nature of sin working in us to pour out praise to lesser loves. But there's no greater joy and reason for our gathering to pour out our praise to God. There's no gathering on earth or group on earth quite like the gathering of God's people. It is here we celebrate what God has done, we remember who we are, and we encourage others in the common life that we have in Jesus. Better is one day in the courts of God than a thousand days anywhere else. That's why we gather. Let's pray.